You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. What prompted the creation of this report is that the popularity of specific tools or services in the cyber criminal underground, when they gain a certain amount of popularity, we think it you know becomes important to share. And uh, this one is particularly interesting because it you know was used by so many different types of of uh, ta- tactics and techniques. You know, we thought it was interesting. That's Brandon Hoffman. He's Chief Information Security Officer at Intel 471. The research we're discussing today is titled Edder's Silent, the Underground's new favorite Maldoc builder. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Well, I mean, let's start off with some descriptive stuff here. When we're talking about a Maldoc builder, what exactly is that? So what that is, is essentially a service or a tool from an, a, another cyber criminal that will create a malicious Word document or document typically for the Office suite, uh, the Microsoft Office suite. So when you think about an attack uh, where they say, hey, uh, the, somebody emails you an attachment for an Office document or an Excel and you open it up and that then downloads some other malware. That's a malicious doc. And so a lot of the cyber criminals don't have the capability to build them themselves. So they hire or buy this piece of software that will build uh, this malicious document for them. Gotcha. Well, let's go through uh, Edersilent itself. What are the, the capabilities that it has? Yeah, so Edersilent is uh, is interesting in a couple different ways. Uh, the first thing that makes it interesting is that it uses two different ways 
the malicious document has two different options, right? One is it exploits a vulnerability, a CVE in Microsoft Office. Now it's quite an older one, but still one that does exist if it hasn't been patched out there. And the other one uses the other more common method, which is a malicious macro. Mm. So that is interesting. It's also interesting because it disguises itself as if it's coming from DocuSign. And uh, I'm sure most people are familiar with DocuSign, but it's supposed to be, you know, it, it provides a level of trust. It's one of the ways that it can kind of set the victim at ease that this is something legitimate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you have some examples here in the research. Can you describe to us uh, what does the DocuSign document look like and how does it trick people into uh, doing things that they'd be better off not doing? Yeah, so it comes through. It looks like DocuSign. It has the DocuSign logo on it. It says it's encrypted by the DocuSign Protect service. And then, of course, uh, at the bottom, it says why I cannot open this document. That's generally used uh, if you think about like the macro version. Uh, a lot of times, uh, IT security departments will disable macros globally. And if they do, that's great. Uh, but if they provide the users the opportunity to re-enable macros to do something, you know, this tells them how this kind of walks them through how to enable the content, which would be in this case malicious content. So, a very smart, uh, very slick way to trick the users into to opening macros and letting this malicious code run on their system. And so, once they click through, they enable the macros. What happens next? Yeah. So, what happens next is you know essentially a payload would get downloaded. So that would be you know the next stage of attack. You know, depending on how it's used together with another piece of malware. So it could be that um, Edder Silent is used to download a payload for TrickBot or potentially there's other uh, banker, banking Trojans and others that are uh, available that were part of uh, the campaign. Things like QBot, um, Gozi, or otherwise known as Ursniff, um, even a Bazaar Loader. And Bazaar Loader is, is quite interesting because Bizarre Loader has been seen in the wild to be paired up with some of the more popular ransomware attacks. So if you think about the attack chain, and I'm not sure if you wanted me to explain this all right now, but somebody would drop this malicious document, user would open it, the code would run, it would download something like Bizarre Loader. Bizarre mm-hmm. Loader then allows another threat actor to then potentially load a third element, which could be potentially something like ransomware uh, directly into the system. Right, right. One of the things that you go into in the research here is uh, bulletproof hosting. Can you describe to us what you're seeing there? Yeah, so bulletproof hosting is something that I feel like a lot of people know about. I'm not sure it always gets the attention that it's due. But bulletproof hosting, just as I had a high-level glimpse, is essentially like the AWS of the cybercrime underground. So imagine you're an attacker. You need some infrastructure to host uh, all this malicious code to send the attacks from machines. And essentially that's what bulletproof hosting is, is, you know, you spin up machines in this other cyber criminals infrastructure, and that's where you launch your attacks. That's where you place command and control servers. That might be where your spam campaign comes out of from a mail exchange perspective. And what's interesting about that is because we've observed it uh, paired up with some of these more popular uh, malware campaigns, a lot of those malware campaigns also use bulletproof hosting. So what that means is that uh, it provides the defenders an opportunity to block this from even getting to their users. So when you think about how do I defend against something like this, 
Sure, having macros disabled, sure, having Microsoft Office patched, and having some type of uh, you know spam filter uh, mail you know protection in place is good. But also another level even earlier is simply blocking traffic from bulletproof hosted infrastructure. Uh, that would also provide another layer where if for some reason you didn't do that, it still got through to the user. If the callback uh, to download the next stage, the next the next malware family, uh, that might be hosted by Bulletproof infrastructure as well. So that would pr- allow that callback to not happen. That would block that callback. So it essentially, it provides another opportunity for the vendors to disrupt this attack chain. Mm-hmm. And and I suppose I mean there's there's little reason not to block these bulletproof hosting providers, right? I mean very little. I, I would hazard to say virtually no legitimate traffic comes out of them. Is that fair? It's fair, you know. It, and and truthfully, this that's probably a little bit of a longer chat. It does get a little bit tricky sometimes because uh, the bulletproof hosters themselves, of course, smart smart people, and sometimes they will get you know. Uh, infrastructure from a legitimate provider. Let's say they get something from Google Cloud or something from Amazon. Now, typically mm. those things get shut down very quickly uh, because those uh, those infrastructure providers are looking for that type of abuse of their services. But in certain cases, you know, if there is an overlap there, you might be doing a canopy block of all bulletproof hosted infrastructure. There may come a time where you may accidentally block an IP net block that is legitimate Will that disrupt a business service? You know, there always exists the possibility that that would happen. But I would say in this case, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does this say in terms of the, the overall commoditization of, of, of cybercrime? How these, you, know, you basically have these, these building blocks that people can use to, to, uh, to do what they're setting out to do here. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a full marketplace. It's a full economy unto itself. Uh, it draws parallels directly to our own, you know, kind of obviously non-criminal standard economy where, you know, there's there's products and tools and services. There's there's service providers. There's suppliers. You know, they they specialize in something specific. Uh, so if you're trying to create an attack uh, against somebody, uh, you know, and maybe your specialty is in cashing it out, right? Monetizing an attack, but you don't have the skills to write the malware or to gain the initial access. You can buy all these things from other providers. So there's literally an econ- a full economy uh, with service providers and product providers at every stage of an attack, um, anything that you could think of. And I could describe that in more detail if you want me to. Yeah, let's dig into it some. What are some of the, the things of note there? Yeah, so certainly, uh, for example, ransomware. Uh, you know, there's ransomware as a service where you essentially, you know, you almost don't have to do much. You just have to provide a victim and somebody, you know, another ransomware, they call them ransomware gangs, although that's not exactly an appropriate term. Uh, they'll go and do the ransomware. They'll do the negotiation. They'll collect the money and they'll charge a fee for that. Uh, and how would you get that victim for them? Well, you could go to an access broker and an access broker is somebody who did the initial infection with something like maybe a maldoc, right? They have access to a machine, but they don't have any interest in doing a lateral movement or doing a ransomware attack. They simply get that initial access, then they sell that off. Same thing can be said about credentials and identity. There's people who are great at running uh, the malware that grabs credentials from people's browsers and other places, 
And they don't have any interest in using those credentials further in an attack. Rather, their way they're going to make their money is simply by selling the credentials to somebody who's going to then perpetrate an attack using a credential-based attack. Going back to Edder Silent itself, um, what are your recommendations for folks to best protect themselves against this? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a, there's a couple different opportunities to best protect yourselves against it. First, of course, is you know if you can globally disable macros at a policy level um, mm. and, and and have no exception to that. I know that's not really practical advice because there's a lot of departments that have to use macros. Um, certainly, keeping things patched, you know, the pat the the CVE that gets exploited in in the more expensive version, you know, is is a 2017 vulnerability. So certainly that's something that should be should be handled. So those two things will protect you specifically against adder silent. But then again, there's there's that opportunity to look at bulletproof hosting and disrupt that, block that infrastructure from having any communication with your systems or networks. Um, there's a lot of indicators uh, IOCs and, and other artifact information that we've developed, and I'm sure others have developed as well around this, where you could use that on an endpoint technology to block it from running, should it even get to the user. Um, updating, you know, spam filtering and mail protection systems uh, are, are a great thing. And then looking at the attack chain on a broader scale, there's a wealth of information around, you know, things like BachBot and TrickBot and all these other bankers and loaders. And just making sure that your protections are up to date against those. So there's several opportunities to really disrupt this particular maldoc. Yeah. How about, you know, educating your users themselves? I mean, obviously we have the thing with the macros here. Um, but just being on the lookout for these sorts of things in general, is it, do you think that's a useful effort itself? You know, I don't know that there's a useful effort around creating awareness for this specific you know, at or silent itself, because it's mm. it, truthfully in itself, it's it's nothing novel, meaning it's not a unique tactic that's being used. It just kind of gained popularity for a variety of reasons. I would say that security awareness is always an important thing to do for any organization. Always make sure that you know what you're clicking on is from a legitimate source. Take the time to review it. Uh, of course, with the remote work, you know, kind of diaspora, uh, that makes things more difficult. People are working later or they have their kids talking to them and they're distracted. And so security awareness is is more important now than it ever has been uh, because extra precaution is needed. Why do you suppose that Edder Silent has risen in popularity here? What's so attractive about it? Yeah, so what, what's so attractive about it is, um, you know, that it is cost effective. That's the first thing, depending on which method you choose. And the other reason is that the author of Edder Silent has gone through great pains to make sure that the obfuscation tactics uh, and technique used in the Maldoc itself is very robust. So we do see that from time to time. But uh, for example, the, the version that uses the exploit, the vulnerability, that's quite expensive. It ranges about $130 plus for a single build, meaning a single campaign run uh, for that build. But on the other hand, uh, conversely, the macro is only $9 at start. It might, you know, the prices fluctuate just like any other market uh, as time goes on. But $9 for a unique malicious macro build uh, is a very, very attractive price for many people. Because if you, you got to imagine if they're running a campaign and every campaign they're going to, you know, they, let's say they have a hundred thousand targets and they break that into ten thousand you know groups of ten thousand you know then they're going to run ten campaigns they could run those ten campaigns for ninety dollars 
with a unique malicious document in each one of those campaigns, that's a quite attractive price. And the obfuscation technique provides a good chance that it won't be detected, at least currently, uh, by a lot of the endpoint solutions. So one of those defense mechanisms kind of falls away, uh, which provides a greater opportunity for success from the attacker side. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I suppose it it really speaks to the professionalism here that the the folks behind developing this have uh, put together, for lack of a better term, a, a quality product. Yeah, that it's funny that you say that because that's the term that we use a lot of times. They say, well, well somebody built some quality software here. And unfortunately, that's the way you kind of have to look at it is, you know, the, the, a lot of the guys who write this software are really, really good at what they do. And they're just they're just doing it on the other side. Our thanks to Brandon Hoffman from Intel 471 for joining us. The research is titled Edder Silent, the Underground's new favorite Maldoc builder. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Carrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Falecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.